welcome to another episode of That F1 Podcast. Today we're in the wake of the Portuguese Grand Prix and there was a good amount of action with Lewis Hamilton making history, Lance Stroll reminding us all to stay away from him, according to Norris, and Kimi was left wondering, what were the others doing? This week, Lewis Hamilton broke the great Michael Schumacher's record of 91 wins after topping the podium this week, but is he the greatest of all time? Probably, yeah. I'd go probably. <laughs> Yeah, um, I'd say probably. Yeah, it's um, it's about the context of it, really. When you take into account how competitive kind of the grid was back when Schumacher was winning and everything like that, especially with the dominant years with Ferrari between kind of 2002 and 2005, and then you look at what Mercedes have had to face. Um, the biggest challenge has been from Ferrari, and that was still two, three years ago. I mean, the, the large number of his wins have come in the last few years because he's winning 10 plus races a season. It's not difficult, but that's kind of what you get when you play the game and win like Mercedes have. Yeah, I also agree that like it depends how you measure who's the greatest. Mm. Because if you go on race wins, then it's Lewis Hamilton now. But then if you go on championship wins, it's not him yet. It's looking like it's going to be. Yeah. You can call him the greatest of all time until he beats his championships, or at least yeah. them. By the end of the season, I'd probably say yes. Probably yes. confirm it as a yes. Uh, but at the minute, it's still just kind of hard to say. Definitely. I completely agree with that. And for me, it doesn't matter. There's often an argument about um, how good is Lewis and how good is his car, you know. But actually, I think a good driver gets a good seat and a great driver keeps a great seat. Yeah, so definitely. The fact that car is just just shows how good he is because they wouldn't have him if he weren't the best yeah exactly and I think that's with what they've got with Bottas is just consistency not somebody who'll push Hamilton but somebody who will kind of just back him up a little bit as we've yeah. seen many times in the past um but yeah it's you've got a question if Bottas was in a different car would he be as competitive or anything but really it's not about that it's more about kind of what Hamilton's done over the last few years he took a gamble going to McLaren uh, go from McLaren to Mercedes even um, and it's paid off for him massively um, there were stories coming out about how it could have been different and Hulkenberg could have got his seat if he'd have stayed at McLaren and just kind of the whole thing would have ch completely changed. Yeah and I mean it's interesting isn't it because although it's funny because a lot of people say that Bottas is second best and things like that and mm. you're right it is in some ways but actually, I think it takes an incredibly brave and incredibly sportsmanship-like person to be able to say, I know Hamilton is one of the greatest of all time, and I know I'm not going to be able to consistently beat him. But what I will consistently do is help him, help the team, and be a brilliant team player that will go down in history as one of the greatest team players probably ever. Yeah. I mean, yeah. at the moment, in the Constructor Championships, um, Mercedes are pretty much double what Red Bull have yeah. got. Yeah. You can argue that obviously we've got the Alex Albon issue there, but the fact that they've managed to double the points that Red Bull has got shows that they've got a winning combination. Yeah, uh, it reminds me of Rubens Bar Barrichello back when he was at Ferrari and everything. He didn't necessarily get many race wins, but you know he took them when he could and just sort of he was he was all right there. He yeah. was, I wouldn't say happy. There were a couple of times where he kind of you know got screwed over a little bit, but you know on the whole, I don't think there could be many complaints about it. But there you go. I mean, you've got to remember that Ferrari got that a million pound fine because Ruth Barrichello was allowed to stand on the top step of the podium when it should have been Michael Schumacher. Yeah. So, you know, they kind of paid their way. Yeah, you win some, you lose some. 
definitely. So this weekend was the first Portuguese Grand Prix in F1 history, I want to say. I think that's correct. I know they've done bits and pieces there and some other formulas have done some work there. Um, but there was immediate issues kind of Friday morning with the pit lane exit in terms of coming into traffic with people on fast laps and in the race Lando and Lance Stroll came together in depending on who, how you view it it could be classed as a racing incident or Lance Stroll turning in on Lando either way Lando wasn't particularly happy he said a lot of things in the heat at the moment at the end of the race kind of think something I want to say something along the lines of um he just hasn't learned from Friday, which was a reference to Lance Stroll's incident on Friday at the same corner in the same place with Max Verstappen. So, you know, it kind of begs the question who was in the wrong at the moment and is Lance Stroll almost falling back into the trap that he had before of being a dr- He has had a very good start to the year, but he's not really done too much in the last few races granted he was out last week with what turned out to be coronavirus but it's it's a difficult one to call really i mean we all know that i'm team norris and i was will be so my personal opinion is that like troll was kind of pretty much in the wrong there and in all fairness he hasn't said that he hasn't said that it wasn't his fault I think he probably thinks, yeah, that might that might have been my fault. But I mean, Lando did not give up, did he? Like he he slated him on on the track, said sorry, and then continued in the interview in a nicer way to slate him again. <laughs> yeah, it was it wasn't kind of typical Lando. I think t- you don't really see that side from him too much. But I guess he's matured a lot over the last year, and I feel like in that time it's given him the chance to speak his mind a lot more opposed to just kind of sitting there and taking it like he would have done last year um there are a few opportunities such as um i think it was Kvyat in china last year where he just decided to kind of oh was it china i can't it was one of the tracks where he started bouncing off both mclarens and he was very quiet at that point but now this year he's really got to come out of his shell a little bit more personality um it'd be interesting to see where that kind of takes him in the future and everything as well it could be kind of an interesting character development almost into not the person who he'd still always be kind of Lando but what Lando can add to himself in the next few years yeah I mean to be fair to himself in the post-race um media he did actually come out with a pretty good statement I'll read it now because I feel like it is a really good talking point um he said I don't really know what he was doing uh, he went left, which I thought, which I was surprised by, because he could have very easily gone on the inside. And watching it, I said that I was like, "Why?" Yeah, he did. He went over the kind of curbs on the edge, didn't he? A little bit. Yeah, he was trying to do a round the outside trick when yeah. it just wasn't necessary. Uh, he put side, and he just obviously he didn't learn from Friday, but he doesn't seem to learn from anything he does. It happens a lot with him, so I need to make sure I stay away from him next time. Mm. So I think they are the two youngest drivers on the grid, aren't they? Lance Stroll and Lando. Um, So, you know, you can't really put it down to any experience anymore with Stroll. He's been there for kind of three, four years now, I want to say. You know, it's not, it's it's out of the realms of an experience now. He's been there, he's done it. Lando's been there for half the time and you don't see him making the same mistakes. Same with George Russell, even with Alex Albon. It's not really gone his way this year. 
you don't see him making the same mistakes. I mean, uh, there are times where he's been caught out, like last week at the Eiffel Grand Prix, where he just came across the front of Kvyat. And uh, potentially when he, like Silverstone with the whole Magnussen situation, but they're not as consistent as Stroll. Definitely. I mean, the whole thing around kind of like the fact that, I mean, Norris is 20 and Lance Stroll is 21, but Lance Stroll has literally been in the sport, Formula One, double the time that Norris has. Yeah. And I, you don't see the likes of Alex Albon, George Russell, um, and Norris making the same mistakes that Stroll seems to make, which is bizarre because you see them pushing their car to the limits. You regularly see Albon doing that, bless him, and he often spins out because of it. But you never see them make the kind of mistakes that results in them getting a three-point like uh, penalty on their super licence. Yeah. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. But maybe the best result is just for Lando to just stay away from him in the future if he feels that way. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. I think with Lando, he is, like you said, one of the youngest drivers out there. So he's still young. He's hot-headed. Like, I think it's not, you can't really be surprised that one of the youngest guys on the track has got, like, runs his mouth a lot. I think it, you know, fits with his character and, like, his little cheeky face. <laughs> That's yeah, true. I'd agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. I also think that his little apology also fits in with him quite nicely as well. Gets yeah. hot-headed, but was also like, oh, dear, probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> <laughs> so... Kimi Raikkonen got a dreamy start to the race. Uh, the onboard camera showed him cruising through the pack and he went from 16th to 6th in the first lap, even appearing in Verstappen's mirrors, much to his surprise. So why did he start well? So I'm going to talk a little bit about the analysis of that and then we'll go into discussion about what we think, what we think about Kimi Raikkonen. Um, so basically, <laughs> what happened to him was very simple. Uh, he started on the soft tyres when everybody else pretty much started on the medium, some on the hard tyres. It meant that his tyres warmed up on a cool track much quicker, which meant that when everyone else couldn't shoot away like he did, he easily could. But actually, I think the funny thing about this scenario was that he was surprised about it as we were. because He literally was just like, I don't know what the others were doing. He didn't understand why he was weaving through them all as easily as he was. But it is just the simple fact of his tyres were warm when others weren't as warm. And that is because the soft compound tyres are much softer so they get warmer quicker than the hard compound tyres or the medium compound tyres, which take a lot longer to warm up, but last a lot longer. So they they had a bit of a toss up there, obviously, in Alfa Romeo and decided that a good start would be forward. But unfortunately, he finished in P11, which is obviously just outside the points. So very upsetting for Kimi, a bit of a heartbreak saying that he had such a good start. But to go from 16th to 6th is absolutely amazing, really. Yeah, I thought he did really well. I've seen the onboard shots of that first lap and it was one of the best ones out there. I think the only person who kind of came close to that was uh, Carlos Sainz, um, who he didn't tackle the same volume of cars, but managed to pass both Mercedes in the first two laps as well as Verstappen. They just seemed to struggle a lot. I know there were a lot of uh, lockups into the first few corners as well, which would have helped Raikkonen course with the whole issue with Perez and uh, Verstappen as well all of which would have helped him eventually so you know not taking anything away from him he's it's been probably his best race of the season I'd say by quite a way he's had quite a few poor performances this year um, it's difficult to say if this would have secured him a seat for next year of course with all the Ferrari drivers they've got a bit of a bottleneck going on at the moment it's difficult to 
see who's going to take those roles from them. I've got Giovinazzi still is technically part of a Ferrari style system. He that's how he got the drive there in the first place. It's an Italian driver in an Italian brand, um, and it's just difficult to see how this will impact him. Really, a similar story to Albon. Albon had an equally poor, well, worse race, and with Gasly securing fifth place, it's difficult to see how this is going to impact. I know Horner came out this morning and said that the seats will stay the same for the rest of 2020, which is exactly the same as what he said last year with Gasly. So, you know, pinch of salt with all that. He's got history with the Red Bull organisation, as many motorsport fans know, is one of the most ruthless ones around, really, in terms of chopping and changing drivers. Some of them more warranted than others. The whole Dan Tictum incident um, with him not performing in Super Formula got him removed from the driver programme. And Alex Albon even at one point was removed from their driver programme to be reinstated at a later date. So it's difficult to see how both their drivers will come across in the next few months. You got to quit. Albon has got to have a pretty good second half of the season, along with Kimi, both to secure those drives. With Kimmy, you've always got the opportunity, the possibility he'll just call it a day. Yeah. He'll just leave it at that. With Albon, he hasn't really got that flexibility. He's 24, 25 kind of thing. He's still got another kind of minimum five, six, six, six years in the sport, a little bit more if he wants to go down that route. But, you know, it's looking increasingly likely that with performances like that, of course, he got lapped by Verstappen as well. It's almost a carbon copy of what happened last year with uh, Gasly. I mean, and just to give a bit of context to that, because obviously for people who don't really watch the Formula One that closely or haven't watched it for many years, then you do need to kind of have a bit of background understanding on that. So basically the story kind of starts, if I start it, um, when Kvyat went to Red Bull. He completed four races in the main Red Bull team before being demoted down to Alfa Torre or Toro Rosso at the time and hasn't made it back up to the regular team since. They then had Pierre Gasly, where the same thing happened, but halfway through the season. They've now got Alex Albon, and he hasn't particularly performed in that main team and could quite easily see himself going back down to Alfa Torre. So it is, I personally don't think it's the drivers. I think it's the team ethos just isn't great for the drivers. I don't, I'm not sure if they're being supported. Obviously, I don't know. But if you look at the variables, the only constant there is it's Red Bull team demoting and promoting people very sporadically. The inconsistency in drives isn't helping their drivers either. The constant chopping and changing and the kind of reputation they've got. It's not necessarily a environment that a lot of drivers, I know the likes of Brendan Hartley wasn't a particular fan of what the brand kind of stood for. He was another one who was messed around quite a lot when in his junior career. Um, and a lot of it is a case, as I said, of the reputation they've got. It's something that will precede them when taking on future drivers. I think the, technically they don't really have too many young drivers in the Red Bull Academy at the minute. I think a lot of them are through the Honda side of things with Yuki Sonona, who I think he's doing testing either soon or has done it for AlphaTauri. It could be a difficult year for them to kind of have that young talent. I know the last guy who was close to a Red Bull drive was Patricio O'Ward, who's now part of the McLaren IndyCar setup over in America. Um, he, uh, I think he did the Spielberg leg of Formula 2 last year for MP Motorsport. Um, but apart from that, that's the closest he's got to an F1 car, and I don't think he's part of the system anymore. 
So, you know, it's a difficult one to call, really. It, I know, as I say, Christian Horner has been saying a lot of things about looking outside of the Red Bull pool of drivers, which can lead into you've got very limited options in that pool. You've got Hulkenberg, Perez, and Perez is looking everywhere for an opportunity. I think it's pretty certain that Grosjean and Magnussen are both just going to dip out after this year and look at, I think they're looking at IndyCar and WEC. It's a case of who's going to come into these drives as a lot of the current drivers aren't looking at another shot at it. Yeah, so true. And while we're talking about Red Bull, I think we must talk about Danny Kvyat. I, I feel sorry for him on so many levels at the moment because he's not having a good time. And it's almost like, especially with Red Bull drivers, the speculation mounts up and mounts up and mounts up. And I do think that affects their driver performance because Gasly's getting good press. Max Verstappen's getting good press. Guess what? They're going, they're getting much better positions. Obviously, Verstappen's a bit of a rule to himself. But Albon and Kvyat, who are having much less, like they're having not very good press at the moment. Their drives are getting so much worse. You know, their, their season's getting so much worse. In fact, Kvyat was one of only two drivers who was lapped twice by Lewis Hamilton. So, I mean, it was Kvyat and Latifi. And obviously Latifi's driving the Williams. There's only so much yeah. you can do. Kvyat kind of got wrote back into it. He had a pretty solid gig going at Ferrari with the test driver role. If something, I mean, if there's, if he did well at that, he could have taken science role for next year, potentially, just in a completely different universe. But he got wrote back into Toro Rosso and then it became, but he just hasn't had the same success that he had previously i say success i mean he had the one podium last year in germany and that's really the top of that's the top of the mountain for him that's how good it's gotten in the last few years um i honestly can't really see him being around for too much longer i don't think that it's going to be a good few years for him luckily Russian motorsport is something that's really coming through, especially in WEC with the likes of the SMP racing team. They typically take on a lot of Russian drivers, such as uh, Vitaly Petrov's done it in the past, uh, Sergei Sorokin as well. It could be something that he could get involved in at a world endurance level, potentially, but it looks like his time in F1 is slowly coming to an end, really. Yeah, and I mean... Especially going back to like the media interviews and them being quite harsh. Another person who was quite harsh was Franz Tost, like the team principal for uh, for Toro Rosso, Alpha Toro. Got to yep. keep on saying Toro Rosso. Not right anymore. But he was quite harsh. He said that there was no mechanical fault on the car. So he basically wanted to just tell everybody it was very much Kvyat's fault. Yeah. Driver error, not mechanical error, which is harsh on a driver, isn't it? Just to, you know. Yeah. I mean, from France Tost, I don't expect much more, to be honest with you. It's, um, yeah. But in terms of what happened in the race, nothing really, there was not really any events after the whole Lance and Lando incident. It was more just vying for position. I think Joe Perez got driver of the day, which was a good result for him. Um, Arguably, I think Gasly had a shout with that as well. Same with Kimi. I think all three of them had a pretty good shout at it, but nothing really happened. By lap, kind of by the midway point, you could tell Hamilton had won it. You could tell who the podium was going to be. And how do we feel about the fact that, I mean, Hamilton made history this week, 92 podium wins. It's the most out of any driver in history, but he didn't get driver of the day. How do we feel about that? I think it's completely fine. To be honest with you, it's what people expect now. 
Hamilton is going to win. Bottas will be on the podium and Max Verstappen will be on the podium as well. It's kind of driver of the day. You need to look outside of the top three because in reality, there's not any challenges to that. Leclerc has done unbelievably well in a terrible Ferrari this year. Danny Rick has had a really solid few races getting the podium last week and everything like that. But the bulk of the action is coming from the midfield and that is where they need to start focusing the action on a lot. I mean, the the cameras didn't pick up anything to do with Kimi in the first lap. And uh, granted, there was a lot going on at the front with the McLarens making the moves. But when a driver overtakes 10 cars in a lap and doesn't get any airtime on it, you've got a question. I mean, they, they do the restart and um, they do the kind of start analysis uh, analysis and that kind of thing. But again, there was very little from Kimi's point of view. And I think that when drivers have a weekend such as Perez and Gasly, they need to have a lot more recognition for it. I actually really agree <laughs> because I think that actually Lewis Hamilton winning is almost a given. Yeah. And he, if one week he had a really bad quality and started from like 13th and then managed to win, I'd yeah. be like, yeah, driver of the day. But if you start in first, finish in first, you know, all of your practice runs, you were in first or maybe second, then I think actually it's more expected. It's not a surprise. I think driver of the day, which is voted by the fans is a surprise. It's someone who's done well that doesn't always do well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that as well. Because drawing back to the first question about whether Hamilton is the goat, when you start in first and finish in first, all you really need to do is have a really good average lap time that's better than everyone else's, and you'll win anyway. Like, I think he should start further back, and then if he can make it up to the front, then he is the goat. I agree with that. Yeah, it's all about consistency when you're at the front. You just need to maintain that really there's not too much there is a skill involved behind it but you're not exactly challenging for position you're not battling in the mercedes that hamilton's in though he would probably be able to battle through anybody even if he was behind people which he never really is yeah because i know i think it was in the first few laps he dropped two places but then yeah. like it wasn't that many laps in and he had them back again and then it's like when he comes on the screen yeah it's great to watch someone do the lap do the track really well but it's way funner to watch two people battling out like on lap 35 when Perez in a pink car and Ocon in the yellow car had a great battle which I saw um, and I actually I was getting really invested in it I was sat there like leaning and moving like I was in the car with him I was thinking come on get in Abby <laughs> actually it's a really interesting dynamic between the two of them that you probably wouldn't have even realized but this will definitely make you more aware is that Perez and Ocon were actually teammates in Racing Point two years ago, 2018. Yes. And they so. basically had a bit of a bit of a problem with crashing into each other. That used to happen a lot. They used to get very angry with each other and there was a lot of hostility in the team between them. Mostly because actually um, they decided that they were going to have Lance Stroll as one of their drivers. So basically had to just cut out either Sergio Perez or Esteban Ocon. So there was a lot of competition between them. It actually turned out that Esteban Ocon was the one that got the boot and Sergio Perez stayed on. But there was quite a lot of anger in the pits of Racing Point around that time. So the fact that they had to, they managed to have a really decent race is a really, really, really good achievement for both of them. Yeah, I mean, like I didn't know that about the history, but even I can tell, like, I've done motor racing before, 
And like when you don't like someone, you can tell when they race differently. And you could tell between those two, like they like it's it's kind of like a gentleman's sport with um, F1 because like none of them really want to damage their car because they're so like fragile, but so expensive. But with those two, you know, I thought they were going to press a button, pop out some like wheel spikes and start like ramming into each other side on side. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Next week, we'll be talking about the Imola Grand Prix in Italy. With an exciting two-day format being tested, it'll be an interesting weekend with plenty of action. Yeah, it's the first time that they've returned to Imola since 2006, I think, which was the, it was billed as the San Marino GP, I think, at that point. I don't, I think they still had Mons on the calendar and wanted to shoehorn them both in. Um, the two... It should be a really weird weekend, actually, because F1 hasn't really been around there since 2006. It's a difficult one if they really they use practice sessions to kind of build up the setup of the car, make sure everything's OK, kind of check different what fuel levels best, what they can get away with in terms of strategy and to not have that flexibility and have that time, especially on a new track to a lot of the cars could prove to be a very difficult weekend for some teams especially ones who historically haven't had the best strategy on full race weekends such as ferrari this year especially with sebastian vettel they seem to be getting it on point with leclerc but it's i think is this the this is the third and final italian gp so this is kind of the last chance for ferrari to either to claim something back for this year and not leave it as a total write-off as with every week here are my predictions. So I think Hamilton's going to win. <laughs> then it'll be Bottas. And then it'll be Verstappen. Um, I think. I'm going to go a bit different. I think it's going to be Hamilton, Bottas, Alex Albon. Please. And then I think on pole for quality, it's going to be Hamilton. I think I'm going to stick with what I said last week and have Bottas in third, Hamilton in second. And I really want George Russell to win. Don't we all? That underdog to come all the way from the back of the pack, weave his way through and take the win. I mean, he was seventh at one point this week. Yeah. So, you know, he's going to get a possible. point at some time in the future. It's just when. Mm. Maybe not first, but I predict he might get a point. Yeah, I can see that. Baby yeah. steps. Ba- baby steps. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Right. Okay. Well, we'll see everybody next week. Yeah, we'll catch you next week. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.